As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. There's been one demand, and that's holding up that Lombardi trophy, period. That's all I care about, is holding that trophy up and holding that trophy up here. The prime thing is you have to win. You have to win. Otherwise, you can't be a success in professional football. You're listening to The State of the Nation with Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Tashawn Reed, and Ted Nguyen on the Athletic Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to a super wild card edition of State of the Nation. This episode of State of the Nation is presented by BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner of The Athletic. Sign up at BetMGM.com using the promo code THEATHLETICPOD. I am Jimmy Durkin, joined, as always, by our Frank Sinatra impersonator, Vic Tafer, Deshaun Reed, and Ted Wid. We're getting ready for a Raiders and Bengals playoff game. Uh, they're heading to the jungle. Maybe maybe Vic can sing some Welcome to the Jungle for us. Uh, we will get Vic ready to go later. He, he, he has promised that he will sing. He, he's made that commitment, and uh, so we will hold him to that. Wow. A lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. Playoff game, it's... First time since 2016, and we know that that game was not really one that you get a whole lot of excitement about because they didn't have their quarterback. So now, I mean, it, it's Derek Carr. He has gotten the Raiders back into the playoffs. He's going to get to play this time. It's been a wild season. None of us thought that they would get here. At, I mean, at some points this season, you know, we, at the beginning of the year, we kind of had him as a fringe playoff team. They get to 5-2. and two, You think they're looking good. We all know what happened after that, but um, they found a way. And so it's a testament to really what they've been able to accomplish this season that they are, uh, they're heading to Cincinnati on Saturday. We all saw it coming. We all picked them to be a wild card team at some point this season. So we were right. No, but yeah, I mean, this has, you know, been a, obviously a wild season with a bunch of ups and downs. Um, after everything that happened, both, you know, from an emotional and like football impact standpoint, you know, things that went on this season, you know, and, and once they lost that game to the Chiefs, I thought they were done for sure. But, you know, for them to, to pull off that four game win streak against, you know, four, you know, at least solid teams, solid to good teams and do it in the fashion that they did coming down to the wire, pulling off those clutch performances was really impressive. And um, it's, it's interesting that they have a rematch with a team that they already played this season. You know, even though that that matchup didn't really go their way, I know that they lost by 19 points, but it, it was a closer game than, than that score indicates. You know, it was a three point game early in the fourth quarter. 
And I, and I would say the Raiders are, are playing, you know, better football now and more balanced football on both sides than they were at that point. And so it's a game that they, you know, not just because Derek Carr is healthy, but because of, you know, everything else, you know, in terms of how the defense is playing and, and the run game being going, the Raiders have a legitimate shot to win this one. And, and that's probably the first time you can say that in about 20 years now. And, and so obviously it's, it's a major feat for the franchise. It's pretty incredible when you just look at the overall numbers on the season, like DVOA, Football Outsiders, efficiency metric, they're ranked 26th in defense, 21st in offense, and the pass protection obviously hasn't been good. Their rush, running has been inconsistent, you know, and Carr has been turning the ball over, but they just somehow just wet still... blanket, f- man? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'm show. just saying, it, it's, it's still pretty incredible that they just keep finding a way to win, you know, despite... You know, these numbers and sometimes when you look at it, you're just like, man, how, how are they doing this? But they, they just find a way to they just keep finding a way to win, especially at the end of the season. So uh, it, it definitely says something about the character of this team and how they've stuck together. And they could have easily just gave into the narrative of like, oh, you know, we always stink at the end of the season. And uh, they overcame a lot and they're in the playoffs. So it's uh, it's just a really incredible season and a testament to the guys on the team. I was going to say, I think of all the possible matchups in the playoffs, this is the one they wanted. This is the, probably the best matchup for them. They didn't want to go to Buffalo or KC. I think they played the Bengals once. Uh, the game was close for the most part until Joe Mixon got going late, so there's some confidence there. Max Crosby played well in that first game. They kind of slowed down Joe Burrow a little bit in the passing game. So and now Josh Jacobs is running really well all of a sudden, so that's a, a new thing for them in this matchup. So I think their confidence is really high, not only because of the four-game winning streak, but, but also because they played the Bengals. And again, they were in that game for about three three quarters. So I think they're definitely – they've also been a good road team all year long. So I think that they definitely are uh, feeling good about this this weekend's game. When you look at the four-game winning streak, and I think they've talked about it, that they've basically been a playoff situation for the last four weeks. Obviously, none of those four teams that they beat did make the playoffs. But you, you go through that streak. I mean, the, the Browns were – in contention there in the AFC North, and they kind of helped knock them out. You know, the Broncos were kind of fringe contenders. They helped knock them out. And then, I mean, obviously the Colts knocked themselves out when they lost to the Jags in Week 18, but losing to the Raiders in Week 17 was also a big part of knocking them out. And then, of course, they directly knocked out the Chargers. So they went up against all you know teams, especially the last two weeks, that if those teams beat the Raiders, those teams would be in the playoffs. We can talk about that. They won the four games by a combined 12 points, but they were going up against teams that were really fighting to try to get that seventh, sixth, seventh playoff spot just like they were and were able to knock out you know, fellow contending teams. And I think that's that's some nice momentum to take into this game. Yeah, there's not much room to discredit what they did. I mean, I mean, this season, you know, they had six walk-off wins. Uh, obviously, that's an anomaly. I think that's the most in NFL history. And, like, typically when you had that many games that come down to the last play, a couple of them don't go your way. But they've, you know, just broken away this season. And that's why it's probably a big part of why, even though, you know, from the efficiency metrics or the statistics, like, it doesn't look like they should be a playoff team. But because they've pulled out so many of those games, that's what ends up giving them the edge. And, you know, it also helps, you know, having – the seventh extra playoff spot uh, from the last couple of years and all that. But I mean, the Colts and the Chargers were playoff teams until the Raiders beat them. So, you know, in terms of like none of those four teams being a playoff, you know, I don't really ding them for that. And, you know, they beat other playoff teams this year, like the, like the Cowboys and things of that nature. And so there's really no reason not to think that they can't compete in this game against the Bengals. I know the weather, you know, it, it doesn't look that favorable, but I, I, don't, know, I don't know how much that matters um, given how the Raiders have, have played offense these last four games. I mean, it's been run first anyway. So, you know, typically you try not to throw the ball when the weather is bad. And so 
Um, I, I don't think that'll change a whole a whole lot for their their equation on, on offense and in terms of their defense. Maybe that makes it easier to, to slow down Burrow in their passing game. And so, you know, they, they have a real shot in this one. You know, I think whether they advance or not, you know, I, I think you have to like deem this this season a success at this point. Like, I think, you know, even though like playoffs was the expectation like coming into the season, it's like you could, it couldn't have still been expectation after you lose, you know, your head coach and, you know, a couple of important players and all the stuff that was going on throughout the middle of the year. And so for them still just to pull that off in itself, I think, makes this season a success. Obviously, they want to advance and, and move forward in the playoffs. But even if they don't, um, I don't think this is like a, a failure all of a sudden or something that they need to be hanging their head about. Yeah, I think one thing that you got to give them credit for when you kind of look at their strength of victory is the second highest among any playoff teams. Uh, five fifteen was their uh, was their the winning percentage of the teams they beat. Only the Chiefs at five seventeen uh, was higher, and part of that is because they beat the Raiders twice. And I know a lot's going to be made of of their point differential, the minus sixty five point differential. Uh, they they uh, were minus fourteen in terms of touchdowns. They gave up fourteen more touchdowns than they scored. But in terms of that minus sixty five point differential. They were minus 66 in the two games to the Chiefs. So uh, th- those Chiefs games, I mean, you can't like discredit those. They, they played really poorly against the top team in their division, one of the top teams in the conference, top teams in the NFL. But those two games did skew it. And, and I mean, they were able to beat, you know, a series of, of teams that finished, you know, at or above 500. And uh, you've you got to give them credit for that, that they were able to beat solid teams. And also, like, the point differential thing, like, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> like, if you win by one point every game in the playoffs and your point differential is four, who gives a fuck? <laughs> like, you won, you won a Super Bowl. So, like, I don't, I don't know how much, like, nobody's saying that the Raiders are about to be blowing out everybody that they play in the playoffs. Like, if, this, if they're going to be competitive, you know, have a chance going down to end to pull it out. And really, like, I don't think really teams care if they blow out or, or win or edge it out. You know, as long as you win, that's, that's the objective. Yeah, I mean, like the Broncos had a positive point differential because they got to play a last place schedule and got to like obliterate, you know, the Jets, Giants, and Jaguars. Okay, cool. That makes you better. No, it doesn't. Raiders play the Giants, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing is the Raiders' worst games were against like you know bad terrible teams. teams. You know, they, it's Washington, but at least they had bad games against like the NFC teams. You know, the Washington, the Giants. I mean, we talk about the quarterback, Derek Carr's first playoff game, but really, to me, it comes down to Josh Jacobs. I think he's run the ball really well the last three or four weeks. And watching the games again, I don't think the Lions gotten that much better. I mean, there's not like huge holes like, like where there wasn't before. I just think he's running the ball a little harder. I think he's kind of realized he has to go in there and kind of get the tough yards rather than trying. In the past, he sort of bounced outside earlier in the year and was getting bad results. So I think he's just running the ball north and south and getting you know the yards he can get. He's not a breakaway kind of back. I'm not sure if he's realized that or late or someone told him that, but just to get the tough yards, you'll break some tackles. He's a great, you know, jump jump step and and, uh, and uh, cut back. So I just think um, he's been the key for the last during his winning streak. I think for them to win this game in Cincinnati, he'll have to be uh, the key again. He said 130 of his 132 yards against the Chargers were after contact. Yeah, I think it's going to be the offensive line is like the biggest factor in this game. Because they really got whooped the last time. They couldn't pass protect. They couldn't run block. I think Jacobs had nine carries for 37 yards in the first matchup against the Bengals. This Bengals defensive line is probably one of the better units in the league. And and, and with Jacobs, like I know he just had the, the 130 yards after contact, but he needs somewhere to run, obviously, to, to have a good game in this one. And, and and Derek Carr in particular, like obviously, needs some time to throw. So I think if they get get really manhandled up front again, um, it's kind of hard to see them keeping up with this Bengals offense. Um, so I would argue probably the offensive line is probably the, the most important position group for the Raiders this week. They've kind of 
I don't know if they, they really put together a complete game this season. It's like either they run block well or they pass protect well, but they don't really do both well. And a lot of times they do both bad. And so um, maybe they just have a good game this week and, and put it all together. But I, I think that's the, really the unit to watch in this one. You know, when I re- rewatched that Bengals game, they were moving those guys. Jacobs averaged uh, four yards a carry in that game. Uh, but, I mean, they had a couple plays where it ended up with negative yardage and they just didn't run the ball a lot. They, they ran a lot of RPOs. And on some of those RPOs, Carr was throwing those. They threw a, l- a lot of little bubble screens in that game, which kind of uh, was just, you know, very inefficient. Um, and on some of those bubble screens, they had a run option. And on those plays, they were just like moving those Bengals defensive tackles. I was kind of surprised rewatching a film. So, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the if the Raiders ran the ball pretty well in this game, and that ends up being the key to this game and, and controlling the game. I think they have to stop with the RPOs and just hand off the ball to Jacobs. And they definitely need to pass downfield more, but I think they had a lot of trouble pass blocking this defensive line for sure. Trey Hendrickson, you know, sometimes Colton Miller has problems with power rusher, and Hendrickson's like one of the best power rushers in the league. And they have to run more play action, too. The Bengals are 29th in pass rating on play action plays, and the Raiders only ran six play action plays against them the last time they played. So I I really think the key to this game is running the ball and and running more play action uh, to Darren Waller. All right, and now we want to talk a little bit more about the Bengals, so we're going to bring in Jay Morrison, part of our excellent Bengals coverage team here at The Athletic. How you doing today, Jay? Doing great. Looking forward to this game. Counting down the hours. Yeah, I mean, to me, one of the things that I love the most about this matchup is that you've got two teams that are that are new to the playoff picture, right? You've got, uh, I mean, the Bengals just two years removed from having the number one overall pick, and obviously Joe Burrow is a huge reason why they're here. The Raiders haven't been here since 2016. So either way, we're going to get, you know, some team that hasn't experienced playoff success in a while that's going to be advancing to the next round. For the Bengals, I mean, what does it mean for them to be in year two of Joe Burrow and to already be in the playoffs, already have won a division title? They say they expected it. They've had this kind of why not us mindset since the start of the year. But I I think if you gave them some truth serum, they might say they think they're ahead of their schedule. I think a lot of people looked at this being the year, kind of that bridge year to the the 625 and one start to Zach's career to, to maybe kind of get in that 500 range and build some confidence. And then the playoff window truly would open next year. I'm surprised that it's gone as well for him this year. They, I, I think they they all believed in Joe Burrow. They all believed in Zach Taylor. But I still think what they've done this year has to have caught them a little by surprise, despite how confident they have been since OTAs. Jay, I want to ask you, in the first matchup, at that point in the season, the Bengals were really leaning on the run heavy. I mean, and Joe Mixon had a big day, um, and that went over to Raiders. But really after that game, that's when they really leaned into the pass and became that dynamic passing offense that we saw at the end of the season. What do you think signaled that or, or led to that shift just in their offensive philosophy? Well, there were a couple of things. Three, actually. I'll start going into that game at, at Vegas. They had lost two in a row, and then they had their bye. And so they went to Las Vegas knowing that their season could very well be spiraling out of control if they lose that game and make it three in a row after the great start. And and I think it was just a really conservative approach to make it a, a, a slower game, kind of neutralize Crosby and Ngakwe and and just they had this belief that that the dam would eventually break even if the run game wasn't there early. They would just keep pounding, pounding, and eventually it would break. And I, I think that was a big part of that of the game plan that week. And it wasn't 
what they had been doing all year. It was kind of a new plan just for Vegas. Then a couple things happened in, in the Sandy or the San Diego. I knew I was going to do that in the Chargers game. They got down so fast, twenty four nothing, and they really had no choice. And Joe Burrow led them back. It was twenty four twenty two, and they had the ball in field goal range with a chance to take the lead. And then Joe Mixon fumbled. The Chargers ran it the other way. And the game spiraled after that. Then the other one was the, the, the 49ers game a couple weeks later. Same thing. They get down huge. Joe Burrow has this incredible fourth quarter, back-to-back drives, forces overtime, takes them right down the field in overtime to the edge of the red zone, and Zach Taylor turtles up. And he, and he runs Joe Mixon twice, and they get nothing. And then, and then Burrow gets sacked on third down. They kick a field goal. 49ers go down, get the touchdown, win the game. And that was the moment where Zach Taylor has said he lost sleep over that. And they decided we're going to go as far as Joe Burrow takes us. Yes, we're going to expose him to hits because our offensive line isn't very good. But we're going to put the ball in his hands and we're just going to let him take us to where we need to go. And that's what they've done. He has been fantastic ever since that 49ers lost. The Bengals have faced a lot of good pass rushers in their division and just on their schedule in general. You know, just rewatching the uh, the Raider game, they really, really struggled with both Ngakwe and and Max Crosby. Did you think that that was one of the games that the offensive line struggled most with? And what do you think it is about Crosby and Ngakwe that gave that line so much trouble? Oh, I just think they're great. I think they give a lot of people trouble. Um, I, I would say the Chargers game was more the game they struggled the most. I believe Burrow got sacked six times in that. I can't remember how many hits he took. The other thing to remember, too, is in that that first Raiders game, the Bengals still had Riley Reef, a 10-year veteran, right tackle, who they signed in free agency. He's done for the year now. It is Isaiah Prince, who was a six-round pick two years ago and opted out last year. So their line is not getting any better. It is a big concern. I mean, the Raiders are going to get pressured. They're going to hit Burrow. They're going to sack him. It's just a matter of how much the – the Bengals can limit that. They're a team that loves empty sets, and they don't do a lot of chipping with the tight end. If they don't go empty, Joe Mixon's gotten better in, in pass pro. Samaj P. Ryan has as well. But it's going to be really interesting to see how they try to, to slow those guys down. Honestly, I thought they did a pretty good job against Crosby in that first game, even though he had a couple of like wicked spin moves on Riley Reef, and he, he was right there. He was a second away from getting to Burrow, and Burrow's just so good at getting rid of the ball. But I, I think that could be the key is how early and how often, not necessarily they sack Burrow, but how, how much they hit him. I'm going to go to the other side of the ball. What have been some of the key uh, developments on defense for you guys this year? It's been the defensive line. If you take Burrow out of the mix, because obviously he's the most important, next to the wide receiver core, the defensive line group is probably the, the best position group on the team. Trey Hendrickson, who they signed in free agency, has had 14 sacks. He, he went a stretch of 11 straight games with at least a half sack. That was one shy of the NFL record. Uh, Sam Hubbard has complimented him well on the other side. He's got seven and a half sacks. They're both really good at setting the edge against the run. And then two years ago, they get DJ Reader in free agency. And this year, they get Larry Ogunjobi in free agency. So three of their starting four guys are new to this team. And they have just really, really taken that D to another level. And, and there was only one way for that defense to go. They were among the league's worst the last few years. And the whole talk this year was if they can just be average with the offense that the Bengals have, if that defense can just be average. And if you look at the overall numbers, yes, they're, they're average, but their run defense has been spectacular. They're number five in the league against, against the rush that the past defense has given up 
some yards, but a lot of that was early. All three of these of the starting cornerbacks were new this year. Those guys had not only never played with the Bengals before, they'd never played together before because they all came from different teams. The last two years, they have just really remade this defense by going against the grain of what they normally do. They don't typically go out and sign free agents like that. They knew they had to. They had a lot of holes. They had a lot of money available. They hit a lot of home runs in free agency, not just the the big price guys like Hendrickson, but Shadobia Wuzie from Dallas and Mike Hilton from Pittsburgh and Von Bell from New Orleans. These guys that are good players, not break the bank type of players, but they're all solid. They've all improved and they all have experience advancing in the playoffs, which is something nobody on the current team does have. Just be average on defense. That sounds like a refrain <laughs> that has been uh, set around the Raiders for quite some time. And uh, they, they have achieved that as well. They have the number 14 in total defense this year. So should be a fun one. Like I said earlier, I mean, it, it's fun that we've got two new teams, really, that get to experience some playoff success. You know, we'll see what happens on Saturday, but uh, but should be a fun game. Looking forward to seeing what happens. Thanks a lot for joining us, Jay. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's going to be a completely different game plan that we're going to see, I think, from the Bengals than what we saw last time. As as Jay said, that 49ers game um, and, and the way they went away from Burrow late, that has caused them to just lean into Burrow. So um, they ran the ball so much and they kind of tried to run the ball at Max Crosby a lot last time and, and to kind of take him out of the pass rush a little bit. So uh, if, if they're going in empty and not chipping, not helping on the edges, this could be a fun game for Max Crosby. Remember, what was his breakout game his rookie season? He had four sacks against the Bengals. Obviously, that was before Joe Burrow and all that, but um, we'll see what happens. But yeah, I want to talk a little bit about Darren Waller. Obviously, they got him back, you know, shaking off some rust in Sunday night's game, but um, we'll see what he's like on Saturday. And you know, I thought one thing that was interesting, you know, Tashawn, you asked him um, about the whole experience of ever since he's kind of elevated to this starter role, you know, he hasn't missed a lot of time. And to be out for over a month, month and a half for a guy who, you know, has been very open with his, you know, his addiction problem. It was not an easy time for him. And, you know, he talked a lot about what it was like mentally. But well, one thing that kind of, you know, came to mind for me is that that's not really ever talked about with a guy like him who, you know, has gone through addiction is that. For guys returning from injuries, a lot of it is about getting to a certain level where 
You're not going to be able to hurt yourself any further. And can you deal with pain tolerance? What do they do to deal with pain tolerance? A lot of times it's, you know, it's, it's taking prescription drugs. It's taking pain killing medication. And, and for someone like him who is, you know, in addiction from uh, in recovery from drug addiction, I, I can imagine that probably something that's not on the table. So I, that just kind of got me thinking as we thought more about how Raider fans got on him so much and tried to act like he was milking this injury and didn't want to play again. You know, as he talked about, you know, kind of how difficult it was for him just in kind of the mental state that he that he still is recovering from. When I thought about the physical aspect of, you know, for him, it's probably not as simple as just let me take an injection, let me take some painkillers and let me get out there. Yeah, I think like something like important to keep in mind like that is, you know, even though he's sober, like addiction isn't something that necessarily goes away. You know, like there's somebody like has like family members that have dealt with it and stuff. It's like it's kind of always there. And, you know, he kind of talked about that uh, when he when he spoke to us, just, uh, you know, sometimes it's not intentional, but just kind of subconsciously his mind, you know, starts to think things. He, you know, he sees the Raiders, you know, win three games in a row without him. He's like, you know, they didn't need me on the field. Like, am I, you know, expendable? Even though obviously he's not, you know, it's just kind of you start thinking these irrational thoughts. And, you know, great for him that he has this good routine between his therapist, uh, making his music, you know, staying in the playbook, going to the team meetings, uh, working out. Um, that it kept him balanced and kept him focused and, and avoiding, you know, some some of those trappings um, that, you know, he dealt with earlier, you know, in his life. And, and I think, you know, not only with the, with the knee uh, injury that he had, the back injury, but also, I mean, he had COVID, you know, leading, he, he was probably going to make his return um, in that post game before he caught COVID, which is obviously not something that's easy to deal with. He, he made his post on Instagram about that as well. We saw him taking about 20 different things to deal with his symptoms. So it doesn't seem like he was feeling too great coming off of that. And so, yeah, that, that whole thing with, and it, it, I don't want to make it out to be like it was like a huge wave of the fan base was, you know, criticizing Darren Waller, but, but there was that subsection. And that's why I, like, I made a point to like call it out as much as I could on Twitter, just because like he, he doesn't want to be away from the team. He doesn't want not to be play, playing out there. And, you know, you just don't know what people are dealing with in, in those kind of times. And so uh, I thought it was nice. You know, he's always transparent, of course, um, and, and has been asked about that kind of stuff more than, than other players, probably because of his journey. But, uh, yeah, I think it's just open and honest to him. and um, But it, it seems like he's in a good place coming into this week. Uh, Greg Olson said that, uh, you know, he looks a little bit better. He's progressing, knocked off some of that rust. Um, you know, he's been limited in practice all week, but he's obviously going to go ahead and play. And so, you know, he had a, a, a big statistical performance against the Bengals last time. Um, they didn't get him as involved early. Um, and so I'm sure it'll, it'll depend on how he's feeling. But I, I think he could really be a, a focal point for them in, in the passing offense this week. And kind of, you know, I know he played against the Chargers, but really, you know, making his return and making himself felt this week in the game. You know, and if he needs anything to remind him that he is a, a useful part of this offense, he's got to remember that they won some games without him. But it's it's not like the offense was lighting it up. And even though he was not a huge statistical performer against the Chargers, just him back on the field, all of a sudden they're, they're back scoring 35 points. Um, he got nine targets, only the two catches, but um, they were able to, uh, you know, they were able to put up points. So obviously he's he's a huge part of this offense. And I mean, if you have. 80, 85 percent, 90 percent of Darren Waller on Saturday. That's a big uh, bonus for the Raiders. The Bengals really didn't have anybody to cover him. They were throwing different bodies at him. They're, you know, even a was was trying to cover him. Interestingly, you know, the Bengals are a man team, but they played most or second most zone against the Raiders than they have against any other opponent. And I think a part of the reason why is they just didn't have the bodies to cover Darren Waller. So I wouldn't be surprised if he had another big game or if they really tried to focus their attention on doubling him and that opens up things for Zay Jones and Hunter Renfro. Him playing and then, you know, connecting with Carr in this game is, is going to be huge. Yeah, I wrote about it earlier this week. They were only like 19th this season in zone rate, 
but they played zone like 83% of the time in that first Raiders game. And so they were really banking on just kind of sitting back and, you know, giving up the underneath stuff and, and betting that they couldn't beat, beat them deep. And it, it was kind of weird that the Raiders didn't, you know, exploit that matchup at tight end more early on in the game. I think through three, the first three quarters, I believe they only had four targets to either tight end. And then in the fourth quarter, they had four more of them. And so, you know, the Bengals, between their linebackers and their safeties, they really didn't have anybody that could cover Waller or Foster Moreau that well. And so the receivers outside of uh, Hunter Renfro have been kind of hit or miss. Like Zay Jones might have a game. He might not. Brian Edwards might not. Deshaun Jackson is kind of faded into the back. You, you, you would think that they would try to exploit that matchup as, as much as they possibly could, you know, kind of working off of that run game as well. Because if they do lead with the run and you have those multiple tight end sets, uh, that's when you get into the play action and hit the tight ends deeper down the field and things of that nature. So, you know, Greg Olson's a smart guy. I mean, I'm sure we're not breaking any news here, but you would think it'd be more of an emphasis this game. Maybe with uh, Waller back healthy and you got uh, Derek Carrier back last week, now we can see some of those three tight end sets that looked so off in the, in the past. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some more of that, especially in the red zone. Yo, Vic, you wrote about Derek Carr on Thursday and you're just kind of the different player he's been this year with attempting more deep passes. Uh, you know, I think he's second in the NFL in terms of attempts of 20 or more air yards, uh, only to Tom Brady. Um, he's been letting it loose a lot more. Um, also second in completions in of, of 20 or more yards. You asked him, he talked about it, that he's, you know, kind of willing to take a little more risk, take a few more risks. You know, if he throws some interceptions and deep balls, he doesn't really mind their deep punts and all that. And you know, go for those 50-50 balls that might lead to pass interference calls. And obviously that was a big part. You know, statistically, we looked at his numbers after Sunday's game and, you know, they weren't huge. But you can't account for those pass interference calls in, in the passing stats. And in terms of game flow, those obviously are really important. Yeah, it's been a big change. Remember, he's a guy who years ago would throw the ball away and fourth down a couple times. Fans went nuts. He's always kind of you gonna bring that back up, man. Come yeah, on, just in, in passing, he was always a, <laughs> always a check down kind of guy who was like, no, didn't want. And it made sense. He's a protect the ball, don't turn it over. You know, make the smart play, make the smart check down, or throw it away. But he definitely changed his his, uh, his modus this year. He's definitely kind of a kind of a gunslinger, kind of your know, back foot, throwing it up for grabs. Now, and again, these are calculated, like Greg Holton's, these are calculated throws where he's waiting to see one-on-one matchups, the DB's back's turned to him. He's not just ideally throwing up, you know, whenever he wants. He's looking at certain times to do it. So I think that still, it's a marked departure from him in the past, and it's worked. In the last week, I think get four uh, pass interference or defensive holding calls that were kind of big. So uh, definitely something for defense to worry about. Like the, the, the thinking is that if you attack the field, you know, down, down the field, then defense have to respect you for doing that, and you can't play all the things up front as much as you want to. So definitely it's a big mental change for him this season. The thing that's come with that is you know, he's 19 turnovers this year, career high. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny. You know, he's known as a check down guy, and everybody's like tripping off of how much he turns the ball over. But it is possible for him to, to maintain that aggression while protecting the football. I mean, he did it against the Chargers. You know, he, he was over it eight yards, um, air yards per attempt, um, but he didn't turn the ball over. And I think that's the Derek Carr that they need going forward in the playoffs because uh, those turnovers really do, especially when you're going up against an offense that's as deadly as this Bengals offense, you can't afford to give them extra opportunities. And so I think this game for Carr, more so than him passing for 300, 400 yards, it's about him marrying that aggression uh, with protecting the football. It's something that he's obviously shown he can do. And, um, you know, especially with having Waller back healthy and, you know, if the offensive line can can play better, him doing that along with the run game getting going, probably you know the biggest factors in the offense having a good game in this one. 
Vic, you and I looked up some numbers and kind of figured out one, you know, identified one of the reasons where Carr really early in the season was having a lot of success throwing the deep ball. And that was when Henry Ruggs was still on this team before uh, everything happened with him. He was 7 of 12 for 289 yards, two touchdowns, and no picks when throwing the ball to Ruggs, uh, 20 or more air yards. And that's a big thing that Carr talked about, was that if he throws up those deep balls, that it's on those defenders to make sure that that ball is not interception. So in make sure that ball is not intercepted. So for him to throw 12 of those, complete seven, get a couple touchdowns, big yards, no picks, you know, throwing to other receivers other than rugs. He's 33 of 80, 1,128 yards, six touchdowns, five interceptions. And we've talked on the show about how Zay Jones is not good on those deep balls and looking it up on passes of 20 or more air yards, four interceptions uh, when trying to target Zay Jones. So that has been an issue, but um, still, I mean, he, he is being aggressive. And obviously that one pass to Zay Jones uh, against the Chargers led to that big pass interference call. I know a controversial pass interference call, but was a penalty nonetheless. I think I wondered on here why I throw the ball so often deep to Zay, not to Deshaun Jackson. This is more of a strength. But you watch the film, and defenses are covering them totally different. They're definitely, they're definitely stacked deep against Deshaun Jackson, where Zay Jones has matchups and he can run certain things to get that break deep. So I get why they're targeting Zay and not Deshaun Jackson. Ideally, you can get Deshaun in there a couple times and pop a few, but I mean, that's something that they're going to, it's going to be there for him. So at some point, you hope that uh, Derek and Zay Jones can make that connection to work and get a big play deep. Yeah, 6 of 17, 182 yards, one touchdown, four picks when targeting Zay Jones. So that's uh, that would explain why de- defenses are uh, are okay with them targeting Zay Jones. They've got only two more completions than interceptions. Yeah, I think the intermediate passing game could be pretty big for them in this one, like with, with Waller uh, being more of himself. Hunter Renfro even, you know, making more of an impact in that area, particularly the Colts game comes to mind. And then Brian Edwards. I mean, last week we didn't. Talk, we haven't, I don't think we talked about him much, but he had a pretty good game against the Chargers, kind of on those intermediate routes. Like he's a guy that he hasn't been able to get that separation downfield, but um, intermediately he has been able to. And so, even if they don't get all those deep shots, you know, if they can get those intermediate, those fifteen to twenty yard completions, those kind of chunk gains to to, to, to get the ball moving um, and pair that with their run game, I think that could be big for them as well. Tashawn, you wrote um, the other day about Rich Passaccia and Mike Mayock, and. Uh, We've called this season playoffs or bust for a long time. You know, Mike Mayock laid it out after the roster cuts in September that, you know, if we don't make the playoffs, uh, you know, I'm probably not going to be in this job. Well, they're in the playoffs. Uh, does Mike Mayock keep his job? Does Rich Passaccia keep his job? What, what do we think? Uh, you know, are we still in evaluation mode? Do we want to see how they show up uh, on Saturday? Or uh, what do you guys think? Should, should either or both or none of them uh, stick around next season? Yeah, in that article, I kind of just made the case for both of them without really inserting too much in my opinion. But I I think Mayock has done enough, you know, in terms of building this roster out and putting this team together. Um, Obviously, he wasn't the final decision maker for for most of the offseason process. But, you know, putting together this roster to to where they're good enough to make the playoffs, you know, I I think should be the bar for him. But in terms of Basaccia staying on his head coach, I still just – I feel like they need to advance for him to remain in that position. Uh, if they just get bounced immediately, you know, why what he did from a leadership standpoint, holding the team together throughout everything that happened, having the respect of everyone, giving Greg Olson the freedom to run the offense and, and Gus Bradley to run the defense and not letting his ego get in the way of that. Um, he definitely deserves credit for all of that, but it still just kind of feels like that. I mean, that's, you know, his assistant head coach role that he had before, that's, that's kind of what you want for that guy. I'm, I'm not so sure um, you want him moving forward as the, the full-time guy. But if they advance, it's kind of hard to see them. You know, even if it's not a super long-term deal, if he, if he wins a playoff game, 
uh, it's, it's kind of hard to see them not not giving him another chance next year. Um, but, but as it stands, um, I, I still think Basaccia needs to do a little bit more to secure that full-time role. To me, it's harder to evaluate Mayock than this Basaccia because Mayock, you look back and you know, John Gruden was the was the guy. He made all the final decisions. So he was the guy who got who he wanted. And, and Mayock definitely had input, definitely was the guy doing the homework and the draft picks. And I'm sure he got some picks that he wanted versus what John was thinking about. But for the most part, this is the roster that John kind of tore down and built up himself. So for me, it's hard. If you're Mark Davis, you got to look back and say, who did what move? And you look at all the bad draft picks over the years, and it's hard to forgive Mayock for some of those. So to me, that one's a little more harder to figure out. I think besides you at this point, he took over, you know, they're, they're in bad shape, and definitely the team has come together. They play hard for him. I think you look at the way he's worked this coaching staff, and it's kind of like a, a group effort. Like he always mentions about Greg Olson and, and Gus Bradley, how they call the plays, and I think those three guys work really well together. So you're kind of, there's no ego really involved there. So I think if you're Mark Davis, and you're looking at bringing back Passaccio, you're also looking at bringing back Bradley and Olson. And Bradley's done some great things. Olsen has some good stuff this year. So I think those three guys as a whole, now they're in the playoffs, I can see why you want to bring those guys back and kind of see where this can go from where you are right now. With the general manager thing, I think they know in you know internally, you know who made those first round draft picks because that's the uh, I think you know the, just the first round draft picks in the, the last few years has been kind of unforgivable, just how bad they were in the first round. But when you look at the some of the picks in the later rounds, they've really hit some home runs. So. I think you really want to evaluate who's making those first round decisions and can they improve in that area, you know, and as far as the coaching, it's a difficult decision, especially if they advance, but you know, like you got to think how attractive this job is as of, as of right now, you know, like the stock is pretty high. I think for coaches to want to come to Vegas, especially, you know, it's playoff team. You have some, some talent, Derek Carr, you know, I think there's a lot of coaches that would, would love to work with Derek Carr. So, you know, I don't think you just hand them the job. Even if they advance, you have to kind of look at what your options are. To me, it's a very attractive job as of right now. Rich Pistachio wins the Super Bowl and Ted's firing him to hire somebody better. If they win Saturday, to me, there's no question they're all back. I think that's their first playoff win in 19 years. How do you win your first playoff win in 19 years? Like, nah, get out of here. We're we're bringing that guy. He's got some fresh energy. So I think, to me, it's a dumb. They're kind of a package deal. Pistachio and Mayak work well together also. They've known each other for a long time, so... I think if they win Saturday, there's no question they're all back. I don't know that necessarily like like you have to like if Basaccia isn't going to be the head coach. I don't know that you have to fire Mike Mayock, particularly since like like again they know better than us in terms of like the draft process and everything. But he obviously didn't have complete control or as a normal GM would in, in the draft process and free agency. So maybe you know his argument is you know I haven't really had the chance to have a full draft and it's in my hands and see what I can do with a first round pick and, and not waste them how they've been wasting them in, in recent years. Um, I know it's usually easier to have that clean slate of hiring a GM and a head coach at the certain, at the same time, but I don't think you necessarily have to do that in order in order for it to work out and get it right. I laughed. I don't I don't remember who it was that said this, but I heard a talking point that uh you know that maybe you know, maybe Mayock you know, he was the hand-picked guy from Gruden. Maybe he doesn't want to do it without Gruden, and uh, that made me laugh. I'm like, this guy spent all those years grinding through tape on the NFL Network and gets the chance to, you know, become a GM for a team, and you don't think he wants the chance to have have a chance to actually run a team. I mean, the good thing about Mayock, too, is just from his work in the scouting and in, on the NFL Network, he's got relationships with probably every coach out there. I mean, they've he's got relationships with all these teams, so um, he is the type of GM that if you do make a coaching change, 
whoever you bring in is probably going to have a, a decent prior relationship with Mayock. So I think that's uh, that's one thing in his favor. But all right, we do want to get to a few questions here. We're running a little bit long, but I know uh, everybody's been wanting some longer shows. So it's the playoffs. So we'll go, uh, we'll go a little bit longer for you guys here. But uh, I want to first say uh, thank you to everybody who submitted questions. We, we got a ton of them. Um, everybody's up their game here for the playoffs. We've got a lot of really good questions. Obviously, we'll not be able to get to all of them. But uh, we'll start with this one from Roman. He says, am I being way too optimistic in believing this team can go on a good playoff run? I think they have legit shots against the Bengals and then potentially the Titans. The past years of disappointment tell me otherwise, but this team's confidence gives me confidence. One game at a time, though, of course. I don't see how they have a, to make a long run. I think a win this weekend is definitely doable, but we talked about I mean, the offensive line still an issue. Uh, the run defense has been better, but is your run defense good? No. So I think another issue that would pop up for him, plus the, the whole we mentioned the deep, the deep game, they, they still miss rugs. So I think those three things to me would prevent them from making any kind of long run in the playoffs. Yeah, let's punt the brakes a little bit. Haven't won a playoff game in 20 years, man. <laughs> 19. <laughs> 19, come on. He's rounding up. It's 2022 now, right? Well, it was the 2022 season, so those playoffs, or it was the 2002 season, so those playoffs were in 2003. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about some of the numbers. Like, it's pretty incredible that this team is in this position, but they're, you know, they're overcoming a lot with just, you know, clutch play and winning games in the last second. So we'll see. I mean, if they come out and just incinerate the Bengals and they look like a legit improved team, then, you know, maybe they make a run. But, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens this week. I mean, those last possession wins are the things that are the kind of the biggest variable. Those things from season to season can flip. You can win all those kind of last minute games, you know, one year and then lose them all next year. And I mean, shoot, you know, they, they were 10 and seven. Uh, if they don't, if they lose three of those games that they won on a final possession, they're seven and 10 and we're having a whole different conversation. So, um, but hey, still credit they're in the playoffs. So um, that leads to this question from David A. Getting into the playoffs has always been the goal in 2021. This should cement Derek as the QB moving forward, or do you think he needs to win Saturday to get the extension? I think extension should has been earned already for him. I mean, like part of it is because of like what are you gonna do if you don't give him an extension? <laughs> like are you gonna draft Matt Corral or Malik Willis or, or the guy from Pitt? Like probably not. Um, and then in terms of the quarterbacks available, I don't know why the Packers wouldn't bring back Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I mean, Russell Wilson, you know, maybe he'll be on the move to Sean Watson, some other guys out there, but I don't know how feasible those trades would be and what you would have to give up. Is it worth it? Is it, is it you know, the replacement that much better than Derek Carr? Like, it just doesn't seem like the alternatives are worth moving on from Derek Carr this offseason. Um, and I, I don't know. Like, Derek Carr, I know he's. He's all about the Raiders and, you know, he doesn't care about the money and all that. But, like, he ain't playing on no non-guarantee, like, one-year deal next season. So, you know, they, they basically have to make a decision this offseason. But I just, I just don't know. Like, if you don't give him an extension, like, what, what are you going to do? Like, you have to have some kind of plan. You can't just not do it just for the sake of having some change, I don't think, especially since, you know, you made the playoffs with him at the helm this year. I thought last week was a must-win game for him as far as that goes. Um, so, definitely, I think he's in better shape now than he was say, a week ago. Um, I'm not positive. It's, it's, he's already secured the spot going forward. I think a lot depends on, you know, the coaching search and who it is. And plus the economics. I mean, I'm not sure what kind of money it will take for him to stay. And like Sean says, I don't think he'll come back and, 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 and wait a year or just play it out. He's got one year left on his deal. So I'll say it definitely looks better, but I'm not going to say it's a done deal and he's back for sure for the next five or six years. If you don't extend him, you almost have to consider trading him, right? His value would be high. There would be teams that you would get some good value for him to acquire, you know, teams that 
are looking for just competent quarterback play. Um, so, I mean, I think if you don't extend him, uh, you almost have to trade him and, and get uh, get a ton of trade value back. Yeah, I think if you don't extend him, Derek Carr is playing on another team next year. And, like, I mean, you could probably get – I mean, there are going to be some quarterback-needy teams, as there are every year. But, I mean, you might be able to get two first-round picks or something in that area, maybe a first and a second for Derek Carr. But, like, again, what I mean, are you Carson Wentz got a first and a third. Yeah. But, like, what are you going to do with those? You know what I'm saying? Like, who is your quarterback next season? Like, even if you – this isn't a good quarterback draft class. <laughs> like, it kind of feels like you're hitting the reset button after making the playoffs. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense for me. It doesn't, but I think the problem is just there's degrees of, of, of the yes. Like, yes, you want Derek Carr back. <laughs> Here's $200 million you want him back. That's a huge difference in those two yeses. So I think that, to me, is where the, the, the question lies. But um, – Again, if they win on Saturday, I think that probably also is a done deal. But, um, again, I think it's uh, it look, looking better. I'll say it looks better than it did last week. So I think he definitely responded, and we'll see how it goes. But it's such a tough time for him and the organization because there's so much money on the line in this next deal. All right, prediction time, guys. We are making playoff predictions. Raiders, Bengals, Saturday afternoon, Paul Brown Stadium in Cincinnati. Who wants to bat leadoff here and uh, pick this playoff game? I'll go first because I'm obviously going to pick the Bengals because uh, Raider fans have made me promise to pick against them every week, and uh, I probably would anyway. But um, I got tw- I got 27-24 Bengals. I think uh, uh, like be closer than last time, but in the end, uh, too much Joe Mixon uh, for this run defense is to really deal with. So I got the Bengals uh, winning. And I also have the Bengals 34-27. I think the Raiders hang in it, but that is, you know, especially in playoff game, I'm going to go with. The team with, I mean, I guess you could say, and I know it's kind of early to say, but he's, I would say Joe Burrow's a better quarterback than Derek Carr right now. He has better weapons, you know, have more faith in their offense um, and put up enough points to win. Obviously, they're at home. They're more used to playing in those conditions. And, and I think the, the Raiders' defense, while they've been playing, you know, good on like a yards basis, they, they do have a tendency to give up points. The Raiders' offense, I'm not, I'm not sure I see them putting up 30-plus against this Bengals' defense, the way their D-line has been playing. And, you know, like I said, like I don't, I don't think that's – It'll be dis- disappointing for everybody, but you know, I-, I wouldn't think that, that that way to end the season would, would be a failure. I think this season would still be a success, but I think they end up falling a little bit short on the road in this one. I'm glad you guys both picked the Bengals so that I could pick the Raiders in this game. You know, rewatching the game, I just thought that it was a lot closer, and I, I thought the pass rush was just dominating, and that's with... Riley Reef at right tackle, and now they won't have Riley Reef. So I, I think this pass rush is going to give Joe Burrow a lot of problems. I think this run defense is better than they were in, in that first game. You know, I think they they're good enough to contain the run. And you know, I thought the Raiders' offense they had some times where they were able to move the ball pretty easily, but there was just some bizarre third down calls in that game that just did not make sense. Like they handed a fly sweep to Brian Edwards on third and two. Like, I don't think that's going to happen again. And, you know, I think the Mariota package is going to be a pretty impactful in this game. So I I think the Raiders could pull this off. Um, I'm going to say Raiders are going to win this one 27, 24. Do they let Mariota throw? We got a lot. That well, I was. Uh, we got three or four questions in the mailbag uh, about about why don't they let Mariota throw? But Vic and Tashawn, you've seen him throw a lot in training camp, and I, I think you would probably. <laughs> I think I, that would probably provide your answer about yeah, why they don't let think, him throw. I think those were like my first Raiders practices, and he like smoked like like he threw like a, a flat route out of bounds. I was like, oh yeah, okay. This quarterback controversy is no controversy at all. 
What was he? Have? He's had two throws in a year. He's run like was he running twenty times? Has two throws. There's a reason for that. The Raider Raider coaches definitely uh, like what he does, his strengths. But let's play those strengths. I'm not trying to do too much otherwise. I, I, I agree with that philosophy. All right, I'm going to take the Raiders too. I'm going to join you, Ted. I was going to go 27-24. I'll, I'll make it slightly different. I'll say 28-24 just to uh, just to make it a little bit different. But hearing Jay talk about the way that the Bengals have approached their offense lately, of liking to go in empty sets, of not chipping, not helping on that edge. I mean, I, you would think they might, you know, have a different approach when they face the Raiders with that with their edge rushers. But you know, they also could just be a team that says, "Hey, we're, we've had success letting Joe Burrow uh, go nuts throwing the ball. This is what we've done well." Um, and we're going to try to get the ball out quick. If they do that, I think the, the Raiders pass rush can uh, can impact this game, maybe force a turnover or two. We know they're not great about forcing turnovers, but maybe they do in this game and uh, they find a way to pull another close one out. 28-24. Raiders go on to the second round. Well, Vic, we've reached that time of the show. We're, we're about to close up. It's closing time, but we can't close yet. Do you want to take us out here? Here we go. I'm going to dedicate this to uh, Raider fans who I've picked against your team the last four weeks. I don't know why you guys enjoy me doing this, but this song is for you. Hope you guys come out strong this weekend. See you guys in Cincinnati. All right. One and a two and a three. Welcome to the jungle. We got fun and games. We got everything you want, honey. We know the names. We are the people that can find whatever you may need. If you got the money, honey, we got your disease in the jungle. Welcome to the jungle. Beautiful. Beautiful. Look at the run. There's no run. I'm not doing the run now. (sighs) Raiders heading to the jungle. Vic, Tashawn are heading to the jungle. I'm sure plenty of Raider fans are out there heading to the jungle. Uh, So stay warm out there. Looks like forecast for about uh, 31 degrees. Uh, The snowstorm's not coming in until Sunday uh, evening. uh, Knock on wood. Knock on wood. Hopefully not. Hopefully it doesn't come in until Monday so I can fucking get out of Cincinnati. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we will be back, of course, on Saturday with a post-game show, and uh, looking forward to seeing what happens. Raiders in the playoffs. We get to have a couple more episodes. Uh, that's a win-win for everybody. So uh, we'll talk to you guys on Saturday. Ah, right, later, guys. Hey, uh... Adios. Welcome to the jungle.